The death of a loved one is maybe the, one of the greatest ordeals we go through in this great ordeal of life. It's a kind of firewalk that no one wants to take and yet no one can avoid. One of the reasons I love All Saints Sunday is because it's one of those days where we get to tell the truth. We stand here. I said this two weeks ago. If we can't talk about hard stuff here, where can we do it? This is another one of those days. If we are going to talk about life and how hard it is, then we also have to talk about death. Well, as has been mentioned a few times already, it is All Saints Sunday. It's a day that we set aside in the church calendar to remember those who have gone before in the past year and also all the years prior. It is a strange holy day, one where we speak confidently about death and resurrection, but on this day we don't quite do it in the same breath. We let loss be loss for a bit. We sit with it. I've heard some confusions and questions about this day, like why we call everyone saints, when some denominations have a whole process to call somebody a capital S saint, and here we just willy-nilly call everybody a saint, and that seems kind of confusing, especially if not everybody lived a life that was all that saintly. How do we do this, right? So I want to quick clear that up before we go further because it speaks sort of to the core of our Lutheran theology. We are saved by grace, not faith. We call everyone who has died a saint on this day because we believe that what makes people holy isn't how they lived or what they believed. What makes people saints is that God loves them and has called them beloved. And it's God's love that makes them holy. So on this day, we honor and remember and, yes, grieve the saints who have gone before, those who have died. Each year on All Saints Sunday, the assigned gospel selection is either the Beatitudes, you know, the familiar blessed R's, such as blessed are those who mourn, that's why it's chosen, or sometimes it's the story of Jesus crying at the death of his friend, Lazarus. I have preached on that latter text many times, partially because, you know, I'm a crier, and it's nice to have the solidarity with Jesus, losing it for just a hot second. It's a powerful story, not the moment where Jesus raises his friend from the dead, though that is on its own powerful, but the one before it is equally powerful, where he is so overwhelmed by his grief that he stops to cry. Even though it's not the end of Lazarus's story, even though he will rise and live and die again, I have preached on the power of the tears of God, how it matters that Jesus cries first, not to show us that crying, to show us that crying is not weakness, but a kind of receipt for the love we have and whatever was lost. 
As I often say at funerals, big grief just means big love. And I wonder why it can be so difficult for us to give ourselves space to grieve, why so many of us feel like we need this kind of permission slip to do it. A lot of us, you know, tend to be pretty buttoned up in the feelings department. We aren't called the frozen chosen for nothing up here, right? At the very least, we may offer permission for others to let go for a minute or two, but certainly not ourselves. The last time I preached on All Saints Sunday, I reflected on how we had just all compartmentalized what we had been through during COVID. And now all the compartments are pretty, you know, full up. And eventually they all burst open at the same time, like an overfilled tackle box or caboodle, if you are an 80s child. If that's you, uh, it may feel like if you let yourself go, you may never stop. And so you just hold it in longer. We better just shove that stray feeling right back in there and move on. We can't stop all our doing to feel or literally nothing will get done, right? I did this last week. Katie showed that video of the runner being helped by his dad, and I was like, I had to fully disassociate to not sit there and sob through that whole video. Just floated above my body for a second. We do this all the time. Disconnect, try not to feel. Especially right now, as the numbers of innocent people in Gaza being killed grows at an alarming pace. Videos of crying mothers and crying children, it is too hard to listen to and think about. And if I go there, I'm going to lose it, so I'll just pretend it's fine. Listen, it is not fine. We are not fine. This situation is not fine. So I know I could recycle the same words I delivered in 2021 about Jesus crying over Lazarus, and honestly, none of you would know any differently because who remembers yesterday, much less a sermon from two years ago, and honestly, it is tempting to do that because it does bear repeating, we need to be reminded that crying is normal and grief is not a sign of weakness and pretending everything is fine is actually not good for anyone. I could have done that, but instead I chose this set of verses from Revelation assigned to this day because it just kept on calling to me. It is full of imagery, as Revelation often is, but somehow these familiar images and words pulled at my heart in a new way. As background in Revelation, the author John of Patmos is recalling a vision, and in this part of that vision, we get this great multitude of people from every tribe and every nation, uncountable in number, robed in white, celebrating and singing and worshiping God. In his vision, John is asked by an elder who all these people are, and he says, literally, I have no idea, you are the one who knows, and the elder says, these are the ones who have gone through the great ordeal. That phrase stopped me in my tracks. When I take a minute or two to think about what this is saying, what the vision is getting at, then what the elder is telling John is that these are the people who have 
died. And if they have died, that means the great ordeal in this vision is life. Being alive in this world is the great ordeal. I got to be honest, this feels like a moment of validation for me, naming a thing that feels really real. It feels true to call the life we are in right now the great ordeal. I know I'm not alone in feeling this way, like the violence and death and war and earthquakes and hurricanes and illness and suffering are absolutely a great ordeal. That was just this week, y'all. That was just this week. And yet there are two sides to this verse. The great ordeal, the difficulty of life that is not ignored and is named as such, and the celebration that they have made it through. It is hard not to notice that in this story, we have not yet made it through. And this to me is the other side of the coin. There is a distance then between those who have made it through and those of us here. They are there. We are here. The death of a loved one is maybe the, one of the greatest ordeals we go through in this great ordeal of life. It's a kind of firewalk that no one wants to take and yet no one can avoid. One of the reasons I love All Saints Sunday is because it's one of those days where we get to tell the truth. We stand here. I said this two weeks ago, if we can't talk about hard stuff here, where can we do it? This is another one of those days. If we are going to talk about life and how hard it is, then we also have to talk about death. And All Saints Sunday is a day where we don't pretend death isn't real. We don't ignore it. We don't hide from it. We don't shove it down and pretend it's not there. It's going to come whether we do these things or not, so we may as well be honest about it here, in this place, where we believe that death doesn't have the final say. That's what this verse says to me, why it stops me in my tracks every time. These are they who have gone through the great ordeal. The saints, those who have died, they haven't pretended it away. They did the hardest thing, the living, and they are now in the after. They are celebrating and worshiping and singing. This is a text that talks honestly about how hard life is, how hard loss is, and reminds us that it is only part one of the story. They have gone through it. And we have not. Death has come, death is coming, but it is not the end. This is a day we don't pretend. Author and pastor Thomas Long once said, there are two preachers that come to every funeral. One of them is death. He said, capital D, death, comes to every funeral and it loves to preach. And capital D, death, sermon is the same every time. It's this. Are you ready? Damn every one of you, I win every time. You want the evidence? 
It's right there. I break all relationships. I destroy all community. You belong to me. The other preacher is us. We have the duty and delight to stand and sing, O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? That is my job, yes, to remind people at funerals and on days like today that we don't pretend here, where we announce loudly and clearly death does not win. Life is the great ordeal, but we get through. I could write a full sermon on every line of this section of Revelation, but we'd be here all day, so I'll limit myself to just the other one verse that I wanted to lift up this morning. To me, it is the one that implies so much more than we give it credit for. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. It's not just a simple, God's there when you grieve. This action implies a kind of closeness that I don't want us to ignore. In fact, I think it's the whole point. Someone is crying, and where is God in this scenario? Well, I'll tell you what this verse doesn't say. God is not sending a text to say, let me know if there's something I can do for you here. God is not giving you space. God is not hoping you just get over it already. God is wiping away the tears of those who are grieving. You can't stay outside of someone's grief and also wipe away their tears. To wipe away somebody's tears, you got to get right up in there. It's intimate and vulnerable and really, really beautiful. There is no pretending away loss when you were up that close. I know a lot of us have experienced people stepping away from us when we're going through something hard. Often it's because they don't know what to say or how to say it, but no matter what the reason, it is painful as a griever to feel like you've been abandoned by the people you thought would stay close. This verse is a promise that when we are in the midst of grief, when we have gone through something traumatic or difficult or painful, God is not afraid of it. God leans in and leans in close close enough to pick up a handkerchief and wipe away our tears. This is our call as well. Because this day isn't just about our grief, though it is that. It is also about how we interact with and support the grieving people in our lives. Do we lean in? Do we come close? Even when people swing their pain around like a weapon, lashing out at whoever is near, or when they put up walls to keep us at a safe enough distance that the hard thing might not be so hard, maybe they can pretend for just one day longer. It's hard to stay close in grief. But the directive here is, I think, pretty clear. We are meant to lean in. As God leans in. 
So as we often do in this place, we hold more than one thing today. That God is near when we are grieving and the grief is not the end of the story. I know this is so hard to hear when you're tender, whether you're newly grieving or 15 years in. I know how hard it is to think that there is another side to the story. It is easy to think death won when your person isn't sitting in this room next to you or at a holiday table in the coming months. It really feels like death is winning. Again, Thomas Long said, there's a right time to say we are not abandoned by the love of God, even in the depths of our brokenness. Where can we go from God's spirit? We can't go to hell and get away from it. We can't go to the top of the mountain and get away from it. God is always there, providing, loving, sustaining, holding us together. There is a right time to say we are not abandoned by God. And I think that day is today. I wish it were every day. Really, I could use that reminder every day, but especially today. The day we look death in the face and say, you do not win here. Author Kate Bowler calls it an enormous game of theological chicken, where we face down impossible things like death and speak honestly about God while teetering between hope and despair. At the end of communion this morning, we're going to sing a newer hymn, new to us as we gather around the communion table. And I hope as you sing along, you take note of the words that we will sing together. The chorus ends every time with the words, saints be now the truth divining, death be now but never last. Death may be now, but it is not the last thing. It may be looking you straight in the face, but it is not the last thing. And we remember every time, but especially today, that when we gather at this table, we join with the saints who have gone before. The shape of our altar is only half a circle on purpose because we believe the other half is completed on the other side. By those who have been through the great ordeal. God joins all of us here too. Leaning in, wiping our tears, not overwhelmed by the enormity of our grief, because God knows even when we do not, that death may be now, but it is never last. Amen. So All Saints was on Wednesday and around social media, an image kind of floated around this week by artist Jen Wilhoyt. I sent Nick, did I send it to you? Yes. Um, I'm gonna have Nick put it up on the screen so you can see the gorgeousness of it. It's very beautiful, but I know it's small and hard to read, so I'm gonna tell you what it says. It says, when I cannot say all is well or all is known, help me say all is held, so I never believe all is lost. This is what we do here. We hold each other because we are held. 
We hold each other in our grief because God holds us in our grief. And yet we remember that the grief is not the end and loss is not the end of the story. That blessing we read before the names, my friend and colleague, Pastor Mayta Herrick Carlson wrote, and she also sends people at funerals with these words, go forth with audacious grief, but keep living with the hope that comes from Christ. Those are beautiful words that hold both of these things. Our grief is big, God is bigger. So hear it again, go forth with audacious grief, but keep living with hope that comes from Christ. And we will do that as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.